Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. starting in Mark uh, chapter 2. It says, One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but, for the, but the priests to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Then we've been talking through all kinds of different spiritual disciplines. We started with hearing, trust, and obeying out of the Word of God. We have talked about serving, I think, last week, talked about silence and solitude the week before that. And today we're talking about Sabbath and Sabbath rest, and I think it's one of the ones that a lot of us really don't know a lot about. I can't even remember a teaching that I've heard that's specific to the Sabbath in a church I've been a part of. Uh, So hopefully this morning, uh, as I've learned a lot about Sabbath this week and over the years, uh, we can learn together what that looks like for for our church and then for you guys individually. This past week, uh, Missy was out of town in the States for a couple of days on business, and uh, I have two daughters, right, Emerson and Reagan. Emerson's nine, Reagan's gonna turn eight in a couple of months, and they love having slumber parties. And my slumber party, it doesn't mean like other people, it means they want Missy and I to sleep with them. So they want us to sleep in the same bed as them. So normally when Missy's home, it'd be like Missy with one and me with another, and, and they love that. Uh, and, and it's always not a great night of sleep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, but when one of us is away, well, it's the three of us in one bed. So Missy was away for, for a couple days and, and one night this week, and so I, so I agreed with the girls that we would do a slumber party. And so it was me, Reagan in the middle, and, and Emerson on the edge, because Emerson's a kicker. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I, was, I was right. It was the worst night of sleep I've had in a very, in a really long time. I can't remember a worst night of sleep I've had. 
Um, I mean, I had better nights of sleep at the camping retreat. Like, that's, how, <laughs> that's how bad this night, of, this night of sleep was. And, and like, every so often, well, Reagan, so every couple minutes, like not even exaggerating, every two to three minutes, she would move. And she was fully asleep, but she would move like she was awake and trying to get comfortable, she, and, but her eyes were closed. And so I would get, every couple minutes, I'd, I'd start to fall asleep, and then I'd get a knee in the back. And then every couple minutes, I'd, I'd fall asleep, and I'd get an elbow in the head. Or I'd fall asleep and get her heel in my thigh, or fall asleep and her hair would be on my face, and it'd wake me up. And so every two to three minutes throughout the night, I was waking up. And by 5 a.m., I'd, I'd had enough. You're like, I can't believe you lasted that long. But yeah, 5 a.m., I was like, I can't, I can't do this. So, and I looked at her, and I was like, she, I thought maybe she was having a bad dream, so I kind of shook her. And she woke up, and I was like, go to sleep. <laughs> and I put my hand on her, on her head. I was like, just rest. Uh, and then she didn't move. And I'd been praying through like the wee hours of the morning, like half asleep, God, just please help her to sleep and stay still. God, please help her. And, and so that's what part of me putting my hand on her head was like, God, rest her mind. And, and she stopped moving. Well, guess who started moving after that? Emerson. So then, and, and Emerson starts moving every couple minutes, and it was just like a waste after that. When I look at our city and, uh, and just us in general, we just have a hard time resting. Like our city, like Missy said earlier, our city idolizes busyness. You ask someone how they're doing, and most likely you're going to get, oh, I'm, I'm busy. Like things are busy. And it's, it's our natural response. It's our natural uh, uh, reaction to how we're doing. And, and I think it's because we don't know how to rest well. Like we don't, like, you don't sleep well. You don't, and when you do sleep, uh, you, you worry, you have anxiety, you have bad dreams. Uh, you don't have proper rhythms of sleep even. Uh, and, and if that's the case with rest, just rest, what does that mean for Sabbath rest for us? Like, we can't even rest well and sleep well and have a proper rhythm of, of sleep. How many of you are actually Sabbathing well and having Sabbath rest well? And, and I find that uh, in the church today, and especially in a city like this where everything is busy and go, 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 we have a lot of issues with that. And, and I think that our key to having proper rest is to have proper Sabbath rest. And if we can learn today what that looks like and how to have proper Sabbath rest, then hopefully that'll, that'll help you rest well. Uh, and, and I get it. Like some of you guys, uh, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to rest because you have uh, sleep apnea, right? You have uh, issues like that. You have, uh, uh, if you're a nurse, you have weird schedules and, and, they, and, and it moves around on you. Uh, but I think I still think Sabbath rest is the key to helping us learn how to how to rest properly. So we're going to talk about th that today. So here's the bottom line for today. If you don't remember anything else, remember this: uh, practice Sabbath rhythm if you want to thrive instead of just survive. Okay, a lot of us are just surviving, but the Lord wants us to thrive, and Sabbath rhythm rhythm I think is the key for that. So in Mark, uh, the passage Missy read in Mark, leading up to to this passage in Mark chapter two. We have, we have, uh, Mark opens up his gospel in a very unique way. It's, it's really unique how he opens it up. It, he's not so concerned about historical chronology. You know, sometimes when we read the Bible, we just, because of our linear uh, mentality and, and how we are in the West in particular, we think the Bible's that way. But a lot of times the Bible isn't concerned about chronology, right? It wasn't meant to be a history book. 
uh, it's, it's concerned about telling a narrative and a story. And, and, and Mark opens up his gospel with telling us who Jesus is and, and why he came in his essence. And that's, and, and that's because Jesus came to counter the, the culture. And we see that throughout the first few chapters of Mark because it opens up with a countercultural figure in John the Baptist. So Mark doesn't start with Jesus was born here and he grew up here. He skips straight to John the Baptist, who's a very countercultural figure. This guy lives out in the wilderness. He wears like camel skin, he eats locusts and honey. So very countercultural. And, and he says, I'm preparing the way for someone who's going to be even more countercultural, right? The countercultural, the kingdom cultural person. And then Jesus enters on the scene. John baptizes Jesus. Jesus goes out in the wilderness, he gets tempted, and then he begins his ministry, and he calls his first disciples. And Jesus is starting a ministry, right? And he's gathering disciples, and he doesn't go and call the religious people who are already there, who would be kind of like uh, low-hanging fruit, and say, hey, come follow me. He goes to the lake, and he calls fishermen. He calls, like, guys who aren't even concerned about those things. They're not concerned about... Uh, the religious happenings of the day. He goes to the fishermen. So he starts counterculturally, right? And, and Mark shows us that. And then he goes and he, he encounters a man with an evil or an unclean spirit. And, and Jesus speaks to the spirit, rebukes the spirit, and calls the spirit out of the man. And people marvel at that because they've never seen it before. They say, this is a new teaching. And it's with authority. They've never seen this. Even the unclean spirits hear him and obey him. And so already Jesus, one of his first acts in ministry is very countercultural, something they haven't seen before. And then he goes and, and heals uh, a bunch of people, and people are coming to him, and Jesus is preaching the gospel, and, and, uh, and Simon comes up to him and says, hey, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Everyone is here. They're, they've all gathered. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, yeah, oh, my my um, disciples are here, my servants are here, my, my crowd is here. Let them heap their praise and their glory onto me. No, he says, hey guys, let's, let's go to the next town where no one's heard of me. And he, and he leaves. And he's very countercultural in that. Like even in our society, right? We want to gather a crowd and we want, to, we, want, we want people to praise us and to exalt us and, and go from there. And Jesus says, no, let's, let's go where no one's heard before. And he leaves. And then he encounters a, a leper. And again, I say and then, that doesn't mean that it's chronological, right? Because in other Gospels, you'll see some of these accounts in different spots in the Gospels. So Mark is doing something really unique here. And then Jesus encounters a leper, uh, someone who had leprosy, someone who had a skin disease, which, which means like, you weren't supposed to touch them. If you touch them, you might get their disease, so you want to do that. But how does Jesus heal the person? Well, he heals them by touching him. He doesn't stand back. He doesn't speak the disease out. He brings him forward, and he touches them, and he says, through me, you're, you're going to be clean. He does something very countercultural in doing that. And even healing, right? When you read the Gospels, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're familiar with the church, you're reading the Gospels, and, and you see these healings, and, and it, seems, it seems like old hat almost. Like, yeah, well, Jesus does that. But guys, like, this is, this is shocking. That's why everyone's following him. Because no one's, done this. no one's done this before that's come and healed all these people, right? So Jesus is, Mark's, again, he's painting this picture of Jesus as this kingdom culture, countercultural to the world figure. And then he was a paralytic, uh, someone who's paralyzed. His friends bring him in, 
and he wants, to, he wants to be healed, and he wants to walk, and Jesus heals him by forgiving his sins. And that causes an uproar, because they're like, who is this guy who says he has authority to forgive sins? And Jesus says, oh, well, why don't I just tell him to get up and walk, if that's, if that's easier? What's, he, he's like, what's easier, for me to say his sins are forgiven, or to me, for me to say, rise and get up and walk? So he does both. And the guy gets him and walks and goes out rejoicing. And then, and then he does another thing. He calls another disciple. And he doesn't, again, he doesn't call the person who's the churchgoer, who's, who's um, obeyed all the commandments, the person who, who prays every day, who's, who's seeking him necessarily. He calls the person who's a liar, a thief, and a traitor to his own people. He calls a tax collector. He calls Levi. Uh, who is the one who wrote Matthew. So this is Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Um, so he calls Levi, and Levi follows him. And, and the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, the Pharisees, are saying, again, they're like, why does he, why did he touch this guy? Why did he heal this guy? How can he forgive sins? Who, how can he speak to these spirits? And now they're saying, why does he hang out with these tax collectors, these sinners? And Jesus says, I came to those, I came uh, because those who are well have no need of, of a physician, but those who are sick do. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And then he does two things uh, that go against the religious ritualism of the day, and he starts to establish a higher order here, uh, because the Pharisees, the religious right of the day, they say, why aren't your disciples fasting? And because his disciples practice something that is a little different. And then we go into the Sabbath, and, and you have this, Again, this, this holy day that became something it was never supposed to be. So when you read the Gospels, think like this is still Old Testament times. Right? This, is, this is Old Covenant times. This is not New Covenant yet. New Covenant doesn't happen until Acts chapter 2. Right? That, when the Spirit descends at Pentecost, this is the New Covenant. So when you read the Gospels, like, we could actually include it in the Old Testament. Like, think, think Old Testament times here. And, and so you have this very ritual, religious view of the Sabbath. And remember, there was 400 years of silence between the last prophet and the last, the, the last prophet before Jesus and the last prophet, right, Jesus. And, and you have this period of silence where the Pharisees made up all this oral tradition. They, they created this law that governed the Sabbath and all these principles. And, and some of these oral traditions, they could trace back to the time of Moses, but a lot of them, they just added along the way. And the Sabbath became this very religious, ritualistic day of the week for everybody. And Jesus, counterculturally, does something different. He lives out the Sabbath differently. And that's what this passage is about. So it says here in verse 23, one Sabbath, as he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, again, you know the Pharisees, like, right? Uh, the Pharisees were saying to them, look, why are they doing what isn't lawful on the Sabbath? So note here that what isn't, like plucking the heads of the grain isn't the issue here. That, that wasn't, they weren't saying you're breaking the law by going through someone's field and plucking heads of grain. That was actually in the law. You can look at that at De in Deuteronomy 23, 25 that that actual instance says you can do that. What the issue was here where the Pharisees, the Pharisees were saying, you're doing that on the Sabbath when you're not supposed to be doing any work. And you can't find that in the scriptures. And, and so they had, this is coming from the oral tradition 
of the Pharisees. And so they're saying he's, they're doing something uh, that isn't lawful. And Jesus says to them in verse 25, have you never read what David did, King David, the David, when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. He's like, Have you, haven't you read that? And Jesus does two things here. He's establishing a higher order, something above religious ritualism, right? He's saying, there's actually a law of love here, guys. Like human need, hunger, trumps your religiosity. That's what he's establishing here. He's saying, you guys are so concerned about these religious principles. If we're living this right and this right, if we're doing this right, we have a list of rights, you have a list of wrongs. Does that sound familiar to anyone in the, in the church? Right? A lot of you guys probably, if, you've, if you are familiar with the church or grew up in church, that was what religion and faith was given to you as. It was a list of do's and a list of don'ts, a list of rights and a list of wrongs. That is not the gospel, guys. That is not the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is you're free, there's grace. Now, does that abolish right and wrong? No, of course not. But guess what? We have the spirit who dwells in us, if you're a follower of Jesus, and, and you know what's right or wrong, right? Um, and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus anymore. So when you do mess up, like, well, I'm, I'm going to repent, try not to do that again, try my best not to do it again, and be like Jesus, right? That's the new model Jesus gives us. It's a law of love. It's, it's I want to model my life uh, like Jesus. And, and this comes out uh, whenever we were talking to the girls. I remember talking to the girls a couple years ago, uh, this one instance, and Emerson did something, or both the girls did something, and I was like, hey, do you guys know why you're not supposed to do that? And they said, because it's sin. And I was like, what? No, where'd you even get that? We don't even talk like that. It's like, no. Uh, I was like, but, okay, let's, let's say, okay, let's say it is sin. Let's say it's just wrong. But why? Why is it wrong? And, and they were like, well, because we're not supposed to do it. I'm like, well, why aren't you supposed to do it? Because you said. Well, why did I say that? Well, because Jesus doesn't do that? Okay, why doesn't Jesus? And then we had to go to why all the way down to the kernel. And guys, if you can get there in your faith, most of us don't ask why, right? Was that paparazzi on there? Was that a, you take a picture of me? Yeah. Uh, uh, But most of us don't ask why. Like, we don't even, we don't even think that deeply about our faith, we just do. And you need this epistemological foundation of why you do what you do, or else your faith is gonna be empty. And so with the girls, I was trying to build that in their, in their understanding of who Jesus is, so when they get older, it's not about rights and wrongs and do's and don'ts, it's about what's beneficial and what is honoring to Jesus. And guys, the Spirit, the Spirit tells you what that is. I don't have to tell you that the sin that you're doing is wrong. You know it's wrong. I don't have to condemn you in it. All I gotta do is point you to the beauty of the cross and the beauty of Jesus. And the church for so long has done the opposite. We've, we're, just the, we're just like the Pharisees. We're like, you're doing that on the Sabbath? Mm, shame on you. And the world doesn't want that. And we don't want that, right? That's why everyone's leaving the church. That's why no one outside this, the, in our city cares, cares about this because we've, we've lost how to really talk about the gospel.
And Jesus is establishing this higher order here. And the other thing he does is he says, have you never read? Oh, those words. How many of you guys think you know God, but if Jesus was here today, he would say, have you never read? Fill in the blank. A lot of us think we know the God of the Old Testament. We don't like that God. We're like, ah, he's the angry God. He's the, he's the uh, God with, like, righteous indignation, and he has this, like, horrible sense of justice and all this stuff. And I would say, and Jesus would say this, have you never read the God of the Old Testament? Have you never read the Old Testament? Because that's not the God I see. Jesus would say, that's not who I am in the Old Testament. I would say, you're missing all the love in the Old Testament. And then a lot of you would say, well, I like the God of the New Testament. I like, I like Jesus. I like the God of grace and mercy and, and love. And I'm like, Jesus is like, wait, have you never read? I'm not just that guy either. I, you, we're, and we miss like this holistic understanding of who God is because, well, I say this all the time, right? But we only read this much of our Bible right here. Right? Like this, this part. This is the Old Testament this is the new, and we only read this little tiny part. And then in this, we take out Jude, we take out Second and Third John, take out Revelation, you know, probably Titus. I don't know who reads Titus, right? Uh, what else? Like, we read the first seven chapters of Romans, and the rest of it, we're like, I don't get it. So <laughs> we don't read the rest of it, um, and we just pick and choose. So really, out of this last part, we're reading like that much, right? And then even that much, we don't get. So, and you can't understand the fullness of it if you don't understand all of this. And Jesus, I think, to so many of us, will say, ah, have you never read? Have you never read what's in here? Have you never read about Abraham and how he did this? Have you never read about uh, Esther and, and how this worked? Have you never read about Ruth and how she, how she was... Uh, not a Jew, she was a Gentile, and, and she came, and she's the, the mother of this uh, lineage and this nation. Like, have you, never, have you never read these stories? Have you never read Jonah? Have you never read, uh, you, know, you know, go on and on? And, and Jesus standing there saying, ah, just, just read. And he's even undermining this moment the Pharisees, the religious ones, the scholars, he's undermining their authority of the scriptures and their understanding of the scriptures. And Jesus is saying to us, have you never read? And then he says, the Sabbath, and this is verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, in verse 28, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus is saying, the Sabbath wasn't meant to be an obligation. It wasn't meant to be a bunch of rules that you have to obey. It was meant as a benefit. It was meant as a gift. It was made for you. You weren't made for it. It was made for you. And you're supposed to use it as a gift. In verse 28, that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus is saying, We'll go into this verse a little bit more later, but Jesus is saying here that, uh, so a couple of things. One, if you're going to follow me, observe the Sabbath. I'm Lord, and I'm Lord even of the Sabbath. And when you serve me, you're going to do this. 
So, so do this and, and do it well and do it right. And we'll talk about what that looks like in a second. But also, he's establishing this big kingdom principle that we'll, we'll unpack a little bit later. But that, uh, yeah, I don't want to get to it yet. We'll go to verse 1. Okay, so verse 3, or chapter 3 and verse 1. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they, the Pharisees, in verse 2, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. So that, or in order that, they might accuse him. So they're just waiting there for him. Like, it's like a trap for him. And it's almost like you can, you can even see how they maybe even found this man and said, hey, come into the synagogue today, right? Because odds are, they probably didn't even let him in the synagogue before. But now they're like, hey, why don't you come in and we're going to trap Jesus. So they're waiting and they're watching to see what Jesus would do. Jesus knows, right? In verse 3, he says to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, the Pharisees, and and everyone gathered, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Why does he ask that question? What's he saying here? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Why, I... Why, why is he asking that to them? What is in their hearts? Remember, Jesus, whenever he asks questions, he's going straight to their heart. What in their heart is he trying to get at here? And he juxtaposes two things. He contrasts good and harm, save life, or to kill. I think, I think something similar to what he's saying here, if we... If we uh, can add a question to that question is, does the enemy Sabbath? You know, we just saw him uh, cleansing people of these unclean spirits. Like, do they take a break? Do they, do they stop from, from their quote-unquote work? And he says here, are we supposed to stop from doing good? Does evil stop happening? You know, in these two passages, uh, two things the, uh, the Pharisees, the overarching thing the Pharisees were trying to prevent was God's goodness in two ways. Uh, they were stopping, trying to stop the disciples from eating, so they had a need of hunger and, and eating, and they're trying to stop this guy from being healed. Both things represent God's goodness. And so in essence, the Pharisees were trying to halt the goodness of God from happening. They didn't even see it. They were blind to it. They were blind that... That, that Jesus was trying to see God's goodness happening, and they were letting evil prevail. Let people go hungry, let people go without healing. And Jesus is saying, do you think on the Sabbath that people forget that they're hungry? Do you think their hunger just goes away on the Sabbath? Do you think this guy who has a withered hand, that he just forgets on the Sabbath, he doesn't need healing? And he thinks, oh, it's the Sabbath, I don't, I don't need that? Jesus is saying, if we don't do anything intentional on the Sabbath, evil will prevail. And they were silent. And he looks around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So 
I don't know of any other place in the Gospels where anger is attributed to Jesus. And I know what you're thinking, if you're familiar with the scriptures and the Gospels, you're thinking, what about when Jesus overturns the tables and cleans out the temple? Uh, but anger, if you look in, the, in Matthew 21, where that passage is in John 2, anger is never mentioned in those passages. I think we import it into, into the text. Uh, the only emotion that's mentioned in John chapter 2 is zeal, which is an anger. Um, in Romans, Adam preached this a, a couple months ago in, in Romans, that uh, we are not to be slothful in zeal, but we're to be fervent in spirit, right, as, as followers of Jesus. And so zeal is attributed to, to Jesus there. But I think we import, oh, Jesus is angry. That's why he's overturning tables and stuff. Uh, this is the only place in the Gospels that I'm aware of that anger is attributed to Jesus. So we don't see it happen very often. And it's significant that this happens on the Sabbath. This happens around the discipline of the Sabbath, right? That out of all things, Jesus, we could have seen anger attributed to Jesus too. It happens on the Sabbath. I mean, during the whole uh, Passion Week of the Christ where he is getting beaten and tortured and spat on and mocked and crown of thorns and nails in his hands and his feet, spirit and like we don't see anger at all. But we see it here against the Sabbath and against the Pharisees who, who are trying to destroy the Sabbath. So that should, that should kind of, if, you, if your thinking on Sabbath was a little low, like I don't need this, that should elevate your thinking on the Sabbath right now. That, okay, that should get your attention. Like this is something that's, that's necessary, this is something that's needed for me. And he's angry. And, and in the Greek, that is a, it's in what's called the aorist tense, which is a punctiliar, temporary, uh, well, punctiliar, mom, uh, momentous, moment kind of driven event. So he's angry, it's like this punctiliar event, but then he's grieved is in the present tense, which is a continuous emotion. So Jesus' prevailing emotion here is, is grief. And as his anger, you see, you know how we say, like, it's, it's okay to be angry, just don't sin in your anger, right? You see Jesus give us an example of that right here. He's angry, but doesn't lead to him, you know, punching all the Pharisees in the face, or I don't know what your anger would cause you to do. Um, it leads to him uh, grieving over them and mourning. It leads to compassion, but he's grieving over their hardness of hearts, and it leads to compassion. He says, stretch out your hand to the man. He does. He's, he's healed but the Pharisees in verse 6 see this. They go out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians, another, another group that hated Jesus. Um, and they plotted how to destroy him. Those words. They sought to destroy Jesus. That was their goal. Pharisees got with the Herodians and they wanted to destroy Jesus. How... We destroy Jesus so much in our lives. Like, how do you, you know, we look at the Pharisees like, oh, man, they're so evil. They're so, uh, they're so vindictive. But how do you destroy Jesus in your life? How do you go out and, and, and destroy him? And, and you may think, oh, that's a bit extreme. Well, I don't do that at all. Uh, which, when I ask myself that question, I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't do that. But how about this? In our, in our Torontonian culture, in our Canadian culture, you're, you'll hear this a lot. Well, that's good for you, but that's not good for me. 
right? You're just, someone just destroyed Jesus in their life, right? You're sharing the gospel with somebody and they're like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's good for you. That's, that's not good for me. But we do that not just, it's, we're not just talking about the world here. We do that. That language has infiltrated and invaded the people of God, has infiltrated and invaded the church, has infiltrated and invaded you as a follower of Jesus. It's like a disease in the church. That's good for you, but that's not good for me. I see it all the time. I hear it all the time. Think about serving. Oh, well, that's, they do that. I don't, I don't do that. I don't need that. It's a spiritual discipline, right? Well, no, that's not for me. Sabbath. <laughs> that's, that's good for you. You need that. You need that rest and, and that, that time. That's, I, don't, I don't need that. I can go. That's, that's not good for me. Uh, reading your Bible. Uh, it's, it's good for you. It's not for me. I, I prefer to pray. Prayer. Oh, it's good for you. It's not good for me. I prefer reading my Bible. Right? Like, uh, we do TLC at, SJ, at SJT. This is a, a weekly living on mission for us as followers of Jesus in St. Jamestown in our community, a weekly time that's crafted for us as a church where you don't have to create serving time. You don't have to create evangelism time. You don't have to create time to just be love and light in our city. We've created that for you by partnering with organizations. Like, the church has done that. Nobody shows up, right? We have a very small core that shows up for that. Because guess what? Living on mission, oh, that's good for you, but that's not good for me. And we've just destroyed Jesus. And we don't even realize it. And, and Jesus, guys, he wants us to thrive not just survive, right? And so many of us are just surviving day to day. And you're like, I hear that Jesus wants me to have this abundant life, but I'm not feeling it. And this is why I always ask people when I meet with them, I'm like, how are your spiritual disciplines? And it's not that they're gonna cure everything. I'm not saying they're a cure for everything, but just how are they? And you're like, and this is what I always get, I haven't ever gotten a person that says, Oh, they're vibrant in order. I do them consistently. Like, I love them, and yet my life still sucks. I always get this. Well, I haven't read my Bible in like six months. That's the word of life. Right? You believe that, right? It's the word of life. Oh, I, I, haven't, I don't really pray consistently. Jesus loves you. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to be in his presence? Yeah, but it's just hard. I don't know what to say. You know, I get all these excuses. Uh, I'm busy or whatever. Uh, when's the last time you um, were in community and confessed your sin and were in accountability? Like, ah, I don't need that. I don't do Like, guys, these are all spiritual disciplines that are gifts, not obligations. And if we can realize them and see them as gifts, not obligations or legalism or religious ritualism, then it will change your life. It will change the way you see faith. You will experience God in a new way. And Jesus wants you to thrive. He wants you to have the abundant life. He doesn't want you to just survive. And so many of us, our rest looks like Netflix, binge watch for a few hours. It looks like Instagram, flip until my thumb hurts or finger, whatever you use. It looks like Facebook, oh, I hate what these people say and everyone's so this, but I'm gonna be in that environment because I'm just as narcissistic as they are. It looks like it, uh, that's, that's our world today, right? That's, that's our world. And, and, you, and yet you have the word of life sitting there. 
and it's just collecting dust. You have God just waiting there with open arms, and they're empty because you, you haven't taken the chance to just be with your Savior. And it's because we love the other things more than we love the things of God. And guys, if, if the church doesn't realize that, if we don't see that, how is our city ever going to see that? How, why does the world even want what we have if we don't want what we have? Right? Like that's, that's an indictment against us, us as the church. And so in this passage, Jesus is talking to us. And we look at the Pharisees and we're like, we're not like the Pharisees. If you're saying that right now, you are the Pharisee. <laughs> because that's exactly who we're like. That's exactly who we're like. And, and Jesus is saying, gosh, I want something so much better for you. So uh, I want to give you some principles on Sabbath that are practical. Because Jesus, Jesus wants to show us a new way of living, a new rhythm for life. Because here's, here's a lot of us, here's our current rhythm of life. It is work, 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 vacation. Work, 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 vacation. Work, 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 vacation. For some of you guys, it's, it's Netflix, Netflix, Instagram, Instagram, Netflix, vacation. <laughs> uh, it might be the opposite, right? But for a lot of us, just and, and Sabbath rhythm is, is work, 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 Sabbath, and that leads you into work, Sabbath, work, Sabbath. It's, it's a much better rhythm. So here's four, here's four things I want to give you for this. This is from Pete Scazzaro's book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader. I've adapted a couple of them, which I'll talk about. Um, but number one is this. Stop work. It's that easy. This is Exodus 20. This is the Ten Commandments. It's just stop work. Paid work and unpaid work. So Sabbath, guys, is a 24-hour period of time that you set aside to do this. And you might say, I can't do that. That's what I said a few years ago. I was like, 24-hour period of time to do that? I can't do that. Um, and the Lord had to show me that I needed to trust him. It, it revealed my mistrust of God in redeeming that time and redeeming my week. Uh, so uh, from typically for our family, from we live in a, I don't know if this is why, we live in a Jewish neighborhood, so it's kind of, it's kind of nice. We all Sabbath together. Um, we do like Friday at 6 to Saturday at 6. So typically that's what a Sabbath is. Friday night at 6 p.m. to Saturday night at 6 p.m., a 24-hour period. And so my leadership team, for instance, knows I will not respond to anything during that time. I, get, I rarely even have my phone on me in that period. Like I won't respond to work. I won't do emails. I won't do anything. All, all, all like, you know, quote-unquote paid work is, is off. Um, I'm rarely on social media anyways, but definitely no social media. Uh, definitely. Uh, I very rarely do work on those days. Um, and when I do, I hate it. <laughs> I don't want to do it. Uh, but it's very rare that I do it. Um, and it took a while to get into that rhythm, guys. It didn't just happen overnight. I wasn't just like, uh, but it started with saying, okay, we want this time set aside. Let's, how do we protect it? And the, the reality is we probably do it we probably only really Sabbath three out of four months or four weeks of the month, which I think is pretty good. Um, now, we want it to be weekly, but three out of the four is, is pretty good. Um, and, and, uh, and then also unpaid work. So don't do your laundry. Don't pay your bills. Don't well, pay your bills. Don't do them on the Sabbath. <laughs> and do your laundry. <laughs> don't do these things on the Sabbath. 
Uh, don't, don't do things that drain you that are, that are like work. Like if, if yard work or gardening actually brings you life, do that on the Sabbath, right? That's, that's, I'm not, it's just things that would actually drain you. Um, like it's not like during that time we don't do the dishes, right? Like we, we still do the dishes, right? This isn't, we're, we're not like legalistic on this. Um, but actually, I kind of like doing the dishes, so I don't know. It's kind of weird. Okay, Missy's like, eh, I don't know about that. Um, she's like, really, you do? You should do them more if you do. Uh, so stop from paid work and unpaid work, and just devote a time to do that. Now, some of you guys, I get this. You have irregular work schedules. Um, just, again, this isn't about legalism. It's about setting this time aside as consistently as you can, a 24-hour period. Uh, I also get some of you guys, if, if you're married, you and your spouse may have different work schedules. Um, so that, that, may, um, that may be something you have to work out together. And then I also get, too, that um, like ours is Saturday, Friday night to Saturday. For some of you guys, it might be Wednesday. Like, there's no day of the week that has to be your Sabbath. Right? That's, not, that's not how this works. Just a 24-hour period during the week that, that you can set aside. And I started with 12. And that shows, like, my lack of faith, right? <laughs> I started with, with 12, and then we kind of worked our way up. Like, if you have to do that, do that. Just start somewhere, right? So stop work. Uh, number two, enjoy rest. This is Genesis 2. This is um, God ceasing from work. And, and just enjoy rest. What rejuvenates you? What recharges you? What brings you life? Do that on your Sabbath. This is going to mean, if you're going to stop from, from unpaid work, you're going to have to rearrange your schedule. Like, we, we rarely run errands on Saturday because like, we won't do grocery shopping, very rarely, um, because we've rearranged things so that we, those things happen during the week leading up to it because we want it to be devoted to enjoying rest. For our family, on a typical Sabbath, it'll look like sleeping in and recharging from you know, a long week of early mornings, late nights. So we'll sleep in. Um, it may look like reading. We'll do a family brunch. Uh, we, always, we always do it. So we cook together. We clean together. Um, if we do something, it's always together. We're devoting our time to each other. So Missy's devoting it to me and the girls. I'm devoting it to her and the girls. And we're, we devoted that time and protected it to be together. Sometimes it's We'll go out and hang out with people, only if it's going to bring us life, not as your pastor. Um, don't, don't talk to me about your problems on Sabbath. <laughs> I'm like, nope, it's my Sabbath. <laughs> no, I won't do that to you. I'll still pray for you. Uh, uh, there's, yeah, so you have to figure out what works for you and your family or what works for you and yourself, whatever brings you rest. It could be just a day full of reading. It could be a day full of sleeping. Right? Like it could be, uh, but it should be something that's also beneficial. So it shouldn't be like a day full of watching Game of Thrones. I, and I won't get on my Game of Thrones soapbox. I will for a little bit. Just don't watch it. Okay, I'm off. Um, <laughs> but like, it, it should be something that's beneficial to the kingdom, right? So number three, we'll, we'll talk about that more. Practice delight. Genesis 1.31 is, is God saying, looking, is God creating and stepping back and saying, oh, it's very good. He looks back at the work he's done. Pete Scazzaro talks about this one in a different way, which when I read what he's writing, I can't distinguish what he means between two and three, so I've kind of distinguished it a little different, uh, where God looks back on creation. And so take that time to look back on what you've accomplished that week. 
and what the Lord has used you for. And, and this is what I mean. I don't mean to look back and say, oh, look at what I did, this is awesome. But look at what God has done in your life and through your life for his kingdom over the past week and celebrate that and take delight in it and say, yeah, that was very good. That was, that was really amazing how you did that, God. And then that leads into number four, contemplate God. Okay, this, these aren't like in order, guys. They're, they all happen at the same time. Contemplate God. This is coming out of this passage in Mark where Jesus says he's the Lord of the Sabbath. If you don't have God in your Sabbath, it's not a Sabbath. It's just rest. You have to be intentional because the evil is not sleeping. You actually have to do something intentional and contemplate God. Now, I'm not saying you... You uh, hole up in a dark place and pray all day. I'm not saying you just read your Bible an entire day. Now, you can. That'd be pretty amazing, right? Um, some of you guys are like, no, I don't think I can do that all day. Uh, some of you are like, yes, I could do that all day. Um, but that's not exactly, but it should start there. It should start with giving the day to the Lord, recognizing his presence with you, dedicating it to the Lord, saying, I'm doing this for, uh, to be in your presence, God, it should start with hiding the Lord's word in your heart. It should start with uh, praying without ceasing throughout the day, right? And just being in the presence of the Savior, being in the presence of God and contemplating God through all the things that you do. And if you can do this, these four things, so stop work, enjoy rest, practice delight, and contemplate God, Abraham Heschel says it looks like this. So Abraham Heschel was one of the foremost rabbis in the 20th century, uh, and he says it gives you a foretaste of eternity if you practice Sabbath. He says unless one learns how to relish the taste of Sabbath while still in this world, unless one is initiated in the appreciation of eternal life, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. If you can't do that here, he's saying, how are you ever going to do it there? The essence of the world to come is Sabbath eternal. And the seventh day in time is an example of eternity. And Pete Scazzaro says this about the Sabbath. He says, in a very real sense, the practice of Sabbath joins heaven and earth, equipping us not merely to rest from our work, but also to work from our rest. When the first time I read that, I was like, I gotta read that again, I didn't really get it. So he says, it equips us not merely to rest from our work, but also to work from our rest. So out of our rest is how we work, right? It's this circuitous uh, cycle, rhythm that we're in. Uh, we work and rest and we work out of our rest and we rest from our work and we work out of our rest and we rest from our work. And uh, you have a question? We <laughs> We, we, yeah. What's that? Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The question for you listening online is Peter asked, thank you, Peter, for raising your hand. Uh, is it, wait, what'd you say again? It's like filling yourself. It's like filling yourself. Yes, it's, it's rejuvenation. It's recharging. It's, it's being in the presence of the Lord in a dedicated time. Because, guys, I get it's hard to do that at work. It's hard to do that at your jobs, right? We're supposed to do that at our jobs, too, but the Sabbath is supposed to be this dedicated 24-hour period of time where we do that with the Lord. And it rejuvenates and it refills us and we work 
out of it. And, and Jesus is, is trying to show us those principles here, uh, and, and Jesus does. So Pete Scazzaro says here, heaven and earth join. Jesus does this on the cross. Jesus' work in the cross, uh, in redemption, is this work of creation, right? This, this should make us think, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, that we are new creations in Christ Jesus, which means that you becoming a follower of Jesus, this work of redemption that Jesus did on the cross, and in the resurrection where he overcame death and, and, uh, and sin, is this, is this new work of creation, which is, should make us think of Genesis 1, and, and Jesus did this creative work of redemption, and then he rested from it. And the picture we have is, is from Colossians 3. The image that Paul gives us is, our lives are hidden in Christ Jesus, where he is seated, his work is done, at the right hand of the Father. And that's where we're seated. And so in a very real sense, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath because he is our Sabbath rest. And so if you are in Jesus, you are in this eternity that Abraham Heschel says will come there. We say as Christians, no, it actually, it's here, it's now. We'll experience the fullness of it there, but we can actually experience it here and now, and Sabbath rhythm does that. Remember, Jesus also says, I came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. So this doesn't abolish a weekly rhythm of Sabbath, to say, oh, Jesus is my Sabbath, right? I can, I just rest whenever, no. The, the, Jesus fulfills that law, so ultimately, he's our Sabbath rest, and we find our fulfillment in him as he's Lord of the Sabbath. That doesn't, that doesn't take the, the, um, uh, our need for Sabbath away. And if you guys can actually get into a weekly rhythm of Sabbath, you'll experience God in a new way, and you'll, you'll ask yourself, how did I survive without this? But that's just the thing, isn't it? You're just surviving. You're not thriving. When I woke up that next morning after the summer party with the girls, uh, we, were, we were downstairs and we were, um, we were talking and I was telling the girls, I was like, I had the worst night of sleep. And their faces are like, ugh. And they're like, we slept pretty good. Uh, and I was like, guys, it was so bad. And I was going through all of it with them, telling them how they're kicking me and how bad it was and how I had Reagan's knee in my chest or over my head. Like, just all this stuff. We're just talking about how how bad it was, and, and Reagan whispers to me, Missy wasn't home yet, Reagan whispers to me, she's like, like Missy was there, she's like, hey, don't tell mommy. If she knows that, she'll never have a slumber party with us again. <laughs> and I started, I started laughing, and I was like, Reagan, we know it's gonna be horrible. I was like, we do it because we love you. And her face lit up, and she was like, thank you, Daddy. I love you so much. The Lord loves you this morning, guys. In your hurt, even if it hurts him, he loves you. He's there with you. In your grief, even when it grieves him, he's there with you. He loves you. In your pain and your suffering, he's there for you. In your restlessness, he's there He's there loving you. Jesus knew it wasn't going to be easy when he stepped out of heaven into, into this world. He knew he was going to face hardship. And he says, I did it because I love you. He knew that he was going to get a knee in the back 
He knew he was gonna get an elbow to the head. He knew that he was gonna have sleepless nights. That was gonna be a horrible 33 years here in terms, of, in terms of his humanity. But he did it because he loves you. He knew that the cross was gonna be really hard. Even so much so that the night before, he's like sweating blood, right? It was so painful and so hard. He knew the amount of sin and the wrath that he had to take on himself. He knew it was going to be difficult, and he still did it because he loves you. And if you can realize the fullness of what the Father gave up for you when he sent the Son to the cross and what Jesus gave up for you, your only response can be, thank you, Daddy. I love you. And that's what he's inviting us into when he invites us into Sabbath. His rest, his love, his peace for you now. Not some ethereal existence there, but for right now. So we want to invite you in that as we enter our response time now. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your example. Thank you for all the hardship you went through for us. And I'm sorry that instead of pursuing you, spending time with you, being in your presence, I destroy you in my life sometimes. And I'm sorry that instead of uh, reading my, my, the, the scriptures, instead of praying and spending time with you, instead of being communal, instead of serving, instead of living on mission, I, I sometimes do the easy thing that isn't beneficial. And so I confess that to you now and pray that as a church that you would just call us to yourself. That we wouldn't feel condemned, but we'd feel encouraged by the power of your spirit that we can experience this rest in you, Lord Jesus. That in you, our burden is light and our yoke is easy. And I know that's true. And so I pray that you would speak that truth in every one of our hearts this morning, that we would run to you because your arms are open for us. And so as we enter our response time, Lord Jesus, we dedicate this to you. So let us experience your rest, your peace, and your presence now, we ask in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.